Hi, I'm Alex Johnson, and welcome to the Yellow Rugby Podcast. I've teamed up with Big Nev, who runs Bench Warmers and Rugby Smacks, to provide a weekly podcast that looks at all the rugby taking place in the UAE. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors for the show, Rhinomina.com. Rhino is a multi-sport brand developing team wear, leisure wear, training and match day equipment to more than 60 sports here in the Middle East. Michael Cunningham. Michael, how are you? I'm good, Nev. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. So look, on this podcast, we don't we obviously don't have access to your Wikipedia page or whatever. So you're president of Bahrain, is that right? And tell us uh, tell us your background. Where are you from? How did you get into rugby, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, chairman of Bahrain, chairman of Bahrain. The the president is a, a different level altogether, a far, far better man than myself. Um, so how did I get into rugby? Um, started playing at school, probably like a lot of people, um, coming from, from Yorkshire, north of England. Um, obviously rugby is quite big there. So yeah, started playing at school, um, age 11 years old, um, played all the way through school, um, played, um, well, I did play, um, during, during, while I was studying, but then got back into it when I started working up in Blythe, Northumberland. Um, played played for um, the town there, Blythe, and I um, I found a rugby league club with a local RAF a station up at Boomer. Went and played rugby league for those guys as well. Um, so played on and off. Um, every time I moved, I moved quite a bit around the UK. Played a little bit of sports, a little bit of rugby. Um, and then eventually came out to the Middle East in 2005. By that time, I don't think I played any rugby for about five years. So um, 2005, working in Saudi Arabia, um, I was living in Kobar. I saw an advert in the um, the local newsletter that went around the compound. Um, a guy by the name of Tony Mulrain, probably a lot of people in the in the Gulf know of Tony Mulrain. Um, and the thing said, do you want to come and play touch? So I turned up at the at the appointed hour, at the appointed place, and there was Tony, um, another Navy guy there, Mike Lowen, and myself, um, three of us. So it wasn't, wasn't much of a game of touch. It was a bit one-sided. Um, and we hung around, waited for people to turn up. Nobody turned up, but we decided to try again the next week. And the next week, more people came. It grew. Um, as, as you know, more people came down, we decided then um, our neighbours, Bahrain, across the bridge there, they were having a veterans' tens competition. It was the first year of the midnight tens. So we decided we'd, uh, we'd have a bit of a tilt at that. And we did. We went over there, um, Cobar, and we won the very first, the inaugural Bahrain midnight tens tournament which I do keep reminding my colleagues in Bahrain about. Um, so that was, what, 2006, 2007-ish? Um, and then 2000, I, I continued playing for Cobra um, all that time um, until I left in, when was it, 2008, 2009, I came to the UAE. I was living in Fujairah. I followed a couple of um, Cobra players across, 
um, who were uh, Franco Scott uh, being one of them, um, who were playing with with the um, the Arabian Potbellies at that time, who yeah. had just recently started. So I I joined the Potbellies. I drove across from Fujairah to Dubai um, a couple of times a week and for games. Played for Potbellies for about a season and a half, I think it was. Yeah. Um, met Brian Jenkins, of course. It's where I met uh, Mike Quinn, um, the the president now of, of Dubai Sharks. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and and played there for quite a while. Um, yeah. Then got summoned back to Bahrain for work. And even when I first landed in Bahrain, I didn't really join Bahrain Rugby Club. So this was 2010. I, I still turned out at Bahrain to play for Cobar. Uh, but eventually I was, um, I was, I don't know what the word is, persuaded or just assumed into, into Bahrain Rugby Club, uh, the opportunity to get more games in, play for the Golden Oldies. Um, and I've been with that since. So, yeah, um, that's how I came to playing 54 years old, playing rugby still um, in the Gulf. Yeah, it's um, it's a great way to rugby over here. It's a great way to uh, meet people and mix with people. And what do you think of the standard of rugby over here, Mike? Because I suppose, if I'm right in saying so, didn't he top the, the West Asia League this year? Mm-hmm. And like obviously Barry and are the leaders in, the, in setting the standard over here. Well, I'm going to say with leaders in setting the standard because, you know, there's a great competition there. And unfortunately, there's only, you know, five teams in the, in the league at the moment um, due to obviously the, a lot of it's the repercussions of COVID and the effect that's had on the game and, um, you know, the political situation with, with Qatar. Um, there's always been a good standard. I think um, for a, a few years, Bahrain was a little bit dormant um, and we've had a bit of a resurgence. We uh, We brought in... The first time ever a full-time coach in um, Louis Tomkin came over in 2017. And, um, you know, he, he helped to build up a little bit of a, of a, um, a different culture, let's put it that way. Um, and, you know, so we've had a bit of a resurgence in the last five years, let's say, for example. Um, COVID stopped that. Um, but, yeah, if you, if you look at the results of um, West Asia Premiership this year, They've been very tight games, um, and there's been some, I won't say surprise is the wrong word, um, you know, the fact that one week, um, you know, a team could lose to the Tigers by quite a margin. Then, you know, the following week, turn over the team that turned over the Tigers. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it's it's been a very interesting competition, um, and no team the, f- the fact that no team won it in by you know a, a effectively grand slam shows just how tight it's been um you know from a Bahrain point of view somebody remarked one of the guys remarked that it's probably seven years since we've come to Dubai and beaten the exiles um on the home turf so that was a first for us this year but again it just shows you know for the last few years we've always lost a game and it's always been to exiles they've been very tight Tigers have come along um, this year, they've been very strong. They've grown and developed. Um, you know, then, then you've got the Harlequins, always a strong team. Jebel Ali Dragons, a few years ago, you know, they won the league. So it's, you know, it's, it's really, it's a great competition. And there's a lot of competition between the teams. There's a lot of rivalry. Um, 
unfortunately this year, you know, we, we lost the hurricanes. They had a few of their problems. And again, it's the hangover of COVID and various other things there that have impacted them. Hopefully we'll see them back. They've just won the Division One. So that's good news. You know, they won Division One. And again, Sharks were strong. They were in that final. And it was a very close final. Um, you know, and, and of course, you know, talking to um, our friends at Doha, you know, about their aspirations to, to come back into the West Asia Premiership next season. Uh, we've got a game against them in Bahrain this weekend on the 24th. We played them in Qatar on the 10th. So, you know, and, and that game in Qatar, it was, a, it was a, a very close game for probably the first half of the game. And it's only the fact that uh, I think the Bahrain team have been playing to, you know, the sort of premiership level, you know, for, for the most of the season for, you know, it's only been a short season, you know, eight games, but they've been playing to that level. They've got the match fitness that, that showed towards the end of that game. So um, Doha coming back in, they're going to bring another dimension and another you know, top quality team into the premiership. Yeah. What, um, if I was to ask you, I suppose we ask all our guests is, but like you're on about there, the competition and the teams and everything. And it is, I think it's a very good product we have over here, but I suppose if there's any improvements you could make to the league or to the game over here, what would you like to see being made? Ooh. Wow. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd like to see, um, we used to have a few years ago, a golf conference, um, which was a great competition for, you know, teams like, like you know, from, from Saudi, from, from Riyadh, um, you know, Kuwait, um, you know, Muscat as well. It was a great competition for teams that weren't quite at the premiership level because, you know, obviously to be at premiership level, you, you need to have guys who can come down training, you know, a couple of times a week and turn up and play pretty much a, a, a strong, settled squad. You, know, you need about 30 players at least. So the the Gulf Conference was a great opportunity for the teams that, that weren't quite at that, you know, at that level to also enjoy regular games. So I'd like to see the Gulf Conference come back. I'd like to see, you know, the equivalent of Division One teams um, or UAE Division One teams having the opportunity to play you know, against against a Riyadh team or against a Kuwait team or a Muscat team, um, yeah. that would that would be, I think, a, gr a great addition. And through that, you know, to develop back to, you know, you remember where we were a few years ago. We had these teams playing in the um, in the, in the Premiership in the in the, the what used to be the old AGR, AGRFU competition, the the Gulf Cup. So that's something I'd like to see. I'd like to see um, more more veterans competitions, obviously. Um, those are the only games I get to play these days. Um, and, you know, Bahrain, we have a, a great thing there of, of playing the Navy ships when they come in. And we play our neighbours from Koba, we play Riyadh, uh, but the Navy ships are the, the, the teams that we play more of. It would be great to, to have competitions where, you know, we can really get the veteran sides together across the Gulf. And I'm, I'm talking the real veteran sides, you know, the the old doddering old people like me, the 54-year-olds um, who still fancy a run out, but I'd, I'd like to see more of that, um, you know, on the social side of rugby. I think sometimes when we focus heavily on competition and, you know, the things like the West Asia Premiership, we sometimes forget that rugby is supposed to be um, a social game, a game that we play for enjoyment. 
And just just one question, last question I'll ask before Alex wants to jump in, I suppose, is that you're on about, say, UAE, Division 1 teams play teams further afield, and I'd love that. But I was at the Sharks AGM last week, and it was a real eye-opener that the ins and outs of each club and how hard it is to manage it. Like, mm-hmm. Just tell me about Bahrain, because I was in Bahrain, I was in your rugby club last May, actually, the, the Gaelic team invited me over, and um, it's a serious setup, serious business, you know, like I've been to Bahrain and the rugby club takes a life of its own. You make good money off the, the Gaelic teams. Like, I suppose the question I'm going to ask is that, like, do you have a big, big advantage compared to the others? Well, I think pe- people perceive that. But um, what you've got to bear in mind is, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a club there and that club, um, you know, has running costs of its own. So whilst we have a, you know, we're able to to budget for certain things, and we budget for for having a rugby, the whole rugby um, uh, commitment there, and that 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 is from our juniors, you know, who recently we took a hundred junior players to to Muscat. On the same weekend, we flew the team of um, first team plus golden oldies to um, to Doha, you know, and so there are our own costs as well, and the costs of running the club. Um, you know, so I, I guess you could look at it as, as we do have um, advantages, but you know, we have to. You know, our commitment is not just to playing rugby. We have a lot of members there who are interested in rugby, um, and they have a different expectation. Yeah, Mike. I, how um, what I want to ask you is how sustainable do you think is the West Asia competition as it stands at the moment? You know, I mean, you've got normally five teams from the UAE and yourself. You've got to do a lot of travelling. Um, how sustainable do you think it is as a competition? It's only as sustainable, I guess, as the, um, the, the teams participating want it to be. Um, you know, because it's like anything else, it takes a commitment, um, a huge commitment. And, you know, for anybody travelling, so when we travel and when teams come to us, it's a full day out of your weekend. And so players have to commit to that as well. Um, and there's the cost of traveling as well. So there is a commitment to both time and cost. Um, and as long as teams and players are willing to put that in, then it can be sustainable. But, you know, it, it's the, you know, Im- imagine, I guess, Im- imagine if um, the Premier League in the, in the English Premier League if they couldn't play games because they couldn't make up a team or they couldn't, you know, they couldn't afford the bus fare, um, you know, but they do it because they have sponsors. And so if we're going to maintain a, um, you know, a, a premiership, which is the, you know, the, the highest standard of, of rugby we've got in the Gulf, then we need to attract some level of sponsorship to that. And it's been talked about in the past and it's still, it's still there. We need that to be supported. Um, and whether that's a sponsorship um, through, you know, a company or whether that's some sponsorship support from Asia rugby, you know, from the, the regulating and governing bodies, um, we need that because, you know, it is not sustainable unless you've got those things, you've got that support behind it. So, I think you know it's got to appear in the whole the overall plan of rugby development in the region, because you know if if kids growing up 
you know, didn't have, you know, the Kevin Keegans of this world, the the, uh, uh, the Daglishes of this world, if the modern kids don't have the Ronaldos of this world to aspire to, to go and watch games where people are playing at a high level, then, you know, what's going to encourage them to come and play the game? And it's the same for rugby. If you don't have a sort of a premier competition that kids can actually go down and get involved in, then, you know, what is the future? Um, how are you going to attract kids to come and play the spot? How are you going to have, you know, the clubs, um, you know, providing that that interest for them? And of course, don't forget, it's a lot of the players, the the either the current or the ex-players who played in the premiership level who are doing the coaching now for the kids. So, you know, it's not just important that it it helps, you know, attract kids, but it also provides the coaches. Um, and, you know, look at the other areas of development. One, to develop coaches. Uh, where else can you develop them? But when you've got a, a good set of players who they can coach to a high level, referees as well. If you want to have referees, we've got some great referees in the Gulf. Um, you know, Jacko's done a great job, um, you know, with his, his representation on the world stage at the sevens. But... You know, we have some great referees, but unless they've got competitions to referee, how are they going to improve? How are they going to practice their skills? So, you know, it's, I think it's important that you do have, um, and by that I'm not belittling Division One and, you know, the social game and, you know, the, the community leagues. They also, you know, they have their part to play in, in development of, of players and, and coaches and, and referees because you come up through those those grades, those levels, until you achieve the standard that you're capable of. So they all have a part to play, but if we want to produce the top quality um, or the best quality of referees we can, best quality of players and coaches, then you need a, a premier competition. Just, I, I suppose, to your question I'd like to ask then as well, um, on about referees, actually, in our Division One final, I can't think his name, but our referee was excellent, even though we lost. But uh, but having said that, you know about Hurricanes, they are making a step up, and in my opinion, we... We should have beaten them, opportunity missed, but sure look, that's uh, that's it is what it is. But in terms of Hurricane stepping up, I was talking to their coach afterwards, and I, I think uh, some players they, they help out some players financially, I think, and they might give them incentives, like say a, the Sharks Club, our club now, for example. I know, I know I can't comment on other clubs, but I know that we got a flat, we got a rule that we don't pay any players, we pay, we pay for coach, but not for players, like. What's your story there? Like, because I know you're saying there you want Hurricanes to step up, but am I right in saying that ye help some players out, Tigers help some players out? I don't know about Exiles, they help some players out. Like, it's very hard asking teams to step up when you know you're bringing in lads and you're helping them, whereas you know you're expecting our guys to work. Yep, yep, I, I agree, and I think I think all teams, I think all clubs do it differently, have a different approach to this. What we've done in the past um, is we've um, brought brought players out, and we have provided them with a very a very minimum of support. But the thing that we have provided or helped them to do is find employment. Um, Bahrain's a little bit, you know, it's not like Dubai. Dubai, a lot of people come to to Dubai to work. You know, there's uh, there's regular influx of people, and they come and they're rugby players and they find a club. Um, we don't have that many people coming into Bahrain, so we've had to do it a different way. Um, so, you know, in the past, we brought players. Uh, we've helped them find jobs. Um, they found girlfriends who've become wives all by themselves. We didn't help them with that. 
Um, but you know, that's then helped them to settle down and become part of, of the, you know, bar eight. They, uh, you know, and we've recently um, set up a, a rugby federation over the last 12 months um, with the support of, of His Highness Sheikh Khalid, um, the, um, you know, the president of the Bahrain Olympic Committee. So we, we now have a rugby federation and we, we talk about having an international match. And the first question is, who qualifies? You know, who would qualify? But when you look at the current players in Bahrain, um, there are a huge number of the existing Bahrain players who qualify on residency because they've not just been brought in this season or last season. Okay, these are guys who joined around the same time as, as Louis, um, Louis Tonkin back in 2017, some of them from before that. And they've stayed. They're employed here. They've got careers here. Um, like I say, uh, most of them got girlfriends or fiancés here. Um, you know, they're not on the, on the club's books at all. They haven't been on the club's books for a very long time. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's how we develop or try to develop it sustainably. Okay, oh, yeah. it isn't sustainable for as you're, you're absolutely right. You know, yeah. any club, club could, you know, bring in several, if you want to call them a marquee player, um, and yeah, go right ahead and smash their way to the to the top of the table. Um, but that is not the sustainable approach for rugby anywhere in the world, is it really? Um, no. You know, it's it's got to be more. You've got to grow it better than that. Mike, what, um, just going back on the federation there, what doors does having a federation now unlock for you? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, back to what we're talking about, encouraging people to play rugby. You know, if we have a national team and we can join, or which we can do now, we, we can join the, the national competitions, the, um, the Asia um, rugby competitions, then, you know, that is an incentive, I think, to get young Bahrainis and senior Bahrainis to, you know, play rugby we, we've had you know during our time we've had many many Bahrainis come and play um there's a number of them already play they play with the golden oldies because obviously they haven't been playing um you know to the standard that we that the the first team play um they come down they enjoy playing with the, with the oldies and playing the games there and you know if we have a the opportunity for guys to come and represent their own country um I think that helps enormously with developing um, you know, or getting Bahrainis to play the sport. Um, that's that's one thing, um, and I think that that's you know that's the major thing for us. It's uh, it helps us to um, you know and to get involved as well within within the region in um, you know how rugby is going to move forward. The, the West Asia Premiership final is that uh, in two weeks' time? Then is it? It's it's on the fifteenth of April. And how do you see yourself fair and open that, Mike? <laughs> it's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, I, I saw that Tigers lost to the Exiles um, at the weekend. Very good game, yeah. A great game. And that, that just shows, you know, the variability in the competition because, you know, Tigers have beaten Exiles. Exiles have beaten Tigers. We've beaten Tigers. Tigers have beaten us. Um, so that final is, is very much, um, you know, wide open. It, Tigers could win it, Bahrain could win it. It depends, you know, who puts the better game in on the day. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a good, great game, but 
Yeah, it's going to be anybody's game. Where will that final take place? That's taking place in Bahrain. So that's going to be a big club for you then. Well, it could be. It could be. Unfortunately, it's taking place on a Saturday, which is, uh, a, you know, it's a school night for us. So uh, it's, um, you know, but yeah, it's it could be. It's going to be a great game. I'm looking forward to it. And then I suppose finally then for me, Mike, our last one or two questions. Where do you see yourself in five or ten years' time? And where do you see Barry and Rugby Club in five or ten years' time? Do you think you're going in the right place and you think you're sustainable? I think the Rugby Club is sustainable. Um, you know, as I say, I think I think if we're going to make the competition we're playing sustainable, I think that needs more support. Um, and, you know, it can't be support just coming from one or two clubs. It's got to come from outside those clubs, um, you know, certainly to provide the independence um, of all. So, yeah, I mean, Bahrain is, is um, you know, we celebrated 50 years, just a couple of years back. Um, you know, I would like to see in 10 years' time that we're celebrating, or we've celebrated 60 years, and we're still, you know, amongst the, the top flight rugby teams in the rugby clubs in the Gulf. Yeah. And where do you see yourself? Do you think you're here for another few years, Mike? Ten years' time, I think I'd, I'd like to be retired. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd very much like to be retired and on a beach somewhere. Yeah. I suppose give us a word on England then in this year in the Six Nations and uh, how do you think they'll fare out in the World Cup? Jimmy, trust an Irishman to ask that question oh. this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, um, I, I think, I, I think in a couple of games, We've seen England perform very, very well, but in they haven't performed to expectations, I think. Um, you know, it's easy to say, you know, we're, we're rebuilding. Um, you know, it's good to see some, some players who haven't had a real crack having a go or being given the chance, being given the opportunity. New guys coming through, you know, some of the, the tried and tested guys being um, rested. Um there's always that, that ongoing debate about the 10 position, um, you know, and I think, you know, that that's a dilemma that uh, uh, the Borthwick's got to deal with. Um, and he's always going to get the, the pressure from the media and everybody second guessing his choices. And if he goes one way, they'll say it's only because he's bowing to pressure. If he goes the other, they'll say oh, he's boring and, and not interesting. Um, I thought I thought the Island game was shaping up to be a very, very good game. Um, and I was disappointed over the um, over the red card incident with Stewart, um, and I can see you know both sides of that. I'm going to sit on the fence here. <laughs> I can see the arguments both ways. Um, I would have preferred to see a you know a card, maybe a yellow, if they're going to card him for that, because I think it did have an effect on the whole of the second half. And uh, despite that, though, I thought you know to come away. With the result they did, you know, down to 14 men, scoring a try in the second half, um, putting the first points on in the second half, in fact. Um, I felt England did very well. I demonstrated that there's still some fight um, and some pride in the team. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, as, as Borthwick said, you know, he's working on, first of all, um, the set pieces, getting those right. And I think the scrum and the line out, I think they did okay. The signs of improvement. If you remember the, the autumn series and the game against South Africa, where South Africa just bulldozed us in the in the scrums. So 
I think, you know, if that's what his, what his goal is, to set that up first and then deal with the rest, um, you know, get the, once you've got the set piece going okay, then you can start looking at the elements of play, then I think he did okay. I think the fact that with down to 14 men, <clears throat> they only shipped, um, what was it? Uh, what was the final score? 26, 29. So, so they didn't ship that many points down to 14 men for 40 minutes. Shows that they can defend as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think I think that that last game yeah. showed a lot better England than perhaps the game the weekend before, where um, you know France just ran as ragged. Yeah, definitely. But congratulations to Ireland on a Grand Slam, well deserved, yeah. and absolutely the best team in the world at the moment. Well, look, we want as long as we hopefully we get past the quarterfinal because we still haven't done that yet, you know. So, but we'll definitely we'll see. We we'll definitely see the <laughs> I'm sure you will this year. It's it's looking good, but uh, yeah, I mean, 2019. Do you remember? I mean, you you beat New Zealand. You were on top of the world, and then it all went wrong. Yeah. So let's hope he doesn't this year. I'd like to see Ireland do well. I'd like to see all the home nations do well. I'd certainly like to see back in the uh, northern hemisphere. So I don't really my obviously I want England, but you know, any any of the northern hemispheres, happy to take it. Mike, before we go on, I just want to um, take you back 2005-06 when you went to Bahrain Rugby Club. How was the rugby club then to where it is now in its present day? You know, what, what, what did you see? What were you thrown into? Yeah, I mean, I mean it was impressive. The, the clubhouse that you see now was the clubhouse, is, is, was the clubhouse then. Um, you know, the... Pitch number one was pitch number one. It still is. Um, you know, I think, I'm trying to think, 2006, I think we still had a grass pitch um, rather than the AstroTurf pitch outside the, you know, the pitch that's now the, outside the clubhouse of the AstroTurf. <coughs> um, so, yeah, it was an impressive place. It was an impressive place. And, of course, coming from, from Saudi, um, where... You know, there wasn't anything like that to, or in, in Kobe, there certainly wasn't, to come to a place like Bahrain, which was reminiscent of the rugby clubs that you would see back in the UK, from my experience in the UK. So very homely, very welcoming, um, you know, and, and a great place to come. It always has been. Um, you're right, it has changed a bit. Um but you know, it's, I, I still see it as the same place. It's um, it's a club where, and exactly as Neff said, you know, if you play rugby, and you turn up in a rugby club and you talk rugby, you know, you you exchange comments on a game going on with people, and very quickly, you know, you build up friendships. You get to know people because rugby is that kind of sport. So, um, and I think you know, Bahrain as a club has you know um, always encouraged that. And um, that's been my experience anyway. Um, friendly, welcoming place, even when I was playing for the opposition. The, um, the numbers, when did the numbers really start to change for, um, you know, people coming to watch rugby? Has it always been a main event that, you know, people from all over Bahrain have travelled to, to watch? Or has that come in recent years? I think there's there's always been a a strong following of rugby in Bahrain. 
um, you know, when you look at the um, the community that was there, <clears throat> you know, Bahrain is 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 quite a tight knit community. You know, with people there who've who've lived in in Bahrain, you know, came to Bahrain 30, 40 years ago, and stayed and you know raised their families there. Um, so, I think there's there's always a community, and and you a community needs a hub. Um, and there are a few in Bahrain. The rugby club is one of them. There's you know a lot of people interested in the game of rugby or sea life sport that they associate with home. So there's always been a, a strong following, you know. Uh, even when, you know, Bahrain has not been performing very well, you know, there's still been people wanting to go down and watch rugby and support it because these are these are the people, probably the, the you know the family of their friends and their colleagues. So it's always been there that that support. I guess you know when you have a, a successful, um, you know, team, um, and so from like say 2017, 18, we saw. The, the the crowds build at those you know as the team became successful and I think any any club sees that um, you know and I think you know Nev will tell you going back to Sharks days you know when you know when when Sharks were were not doing so well you know um, you know one man is double come down to watch um, now look at the the, the crowds you get coming to games it's you know you can see it's building it's building because success builds that. Um, so yeah, but I mean, you know, it, the the idea was, you know, um, <clears throat> with our games played on a Friday. Um, again, you know, it's 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 different now that we play on a Saturday. We don't get the same number of people coming down, but you still get the people that want to come down and watch rugby and enjoy the whole social thing of the rugby game, the excitement of life sport. Um, you know, those people still coming down. So it's good. It's good to see. Yeah, um, I suppose. Look, I, I said final credit, but I got two more came into my head, and uh, as I know you're under pressure, Mike, probably will work. But I'll just say, uh, just from an Irish point of view, there, because I know I've been to Bahrain, as I said at the start of the podcast, and I'm familiar with it. And the rugby club is really impressive what you set up there. But do you get many Gaelic players then out of? Because I know you're very tight with the Gaelic community over there, and they use your facilities also. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few that cross over um, from time to time. Um, we do have a few. And, of course, you know, they bring their natural, you know, their, their, their Gaelic players because that's the sport, but they, they bring their natural sporting ability to the game. You know, the hand-eye coordination, the, you know, the um, the fitness levels. and Because Gaelic is, you know, from, from my experience of watching Gaelic, um, I haven't played it, um, but those guys are constantly moving. Yeah, yeah, and it's got the physicality as well. So you know, there, there's great crossover from Gaelic players to um, you know into rugby as well, and, and in terms of the the skills and the capabilities to do it. So we have had a few, yes, yeah. And for do you get home often, Mike? Uh, York, because I say you said you're from York. There, I was in York before. It's a lovely part of the country. I'm from Yorkshire. I'm from I'm from a, a little town called Normanton, which is. Uh, just off the M62, so it's stuck right between Wakefield, where the Wildcats now come from, and Castleford, where the Tigers come from. So, um, very up the road from Huddersfield, Featherstone, Leeds. It's right slap bang in the middle of rugby league country. Um, so, I don't get home that often. To be to be very honest with you, um, COVID's obviously got in the way, and uh, uh, I guess the desire to also explore the world 
Um, I don't get back to, to the UK very often. I think the last time I was back was August last year. Right. How would, how would you manage to heat now out here in maybe a month's time? It'll get pretty hot in Bahrain. Uh, well, <clears throat> I've been here nearly twenty years, so I'm, I'm getting I'm getting quite used to it. <laughs> no, but Mike, we do this with our guests. So, uh, quick fire questions. Um, what's your What's your favorite food? Pasta. Favorite thing to do on your day off? Just chill, relax, watch rugby. Yeah. Um. Uh, favorite go to breakfast food. Uh. Go to breakfast food. Um, at the moment, I'm into smoothies. So, but that's just because it's quick and easy, and I can chop it up in the in the ninja and and get on my way. Uh, win the World Cup or win the Masters? Win the World Cup. There isn't a rugby Masters, is there? All right. Well, when golf. <laughs> How often do you do your dirty laundry? Um, every couple of weeks. All right. Um, what is something you've never tried but want to? I, I did once have want to have a go at skydiving. I did fancy having a go at that one time, but uh, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think I've managed fifty four years without throwing myself out of a plane. Maybe I should just stay lucky, you know. <laughs> uh, best book you ever read? Oh, difficult. I, I years ago, before the the TV program came out, I read um, I read the first book of the Game of Thrones and. Uh, I really enjoyed that, but uh, I've 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 read a lot of um, Isaac Asimov, and of course everybody's read Lord of the Rings. So you know I like that sort of genre. So uh, those sort of books, and it's probably a dozen of those. If you had to choose which one, and finally, Mike, um, tea or coffee? Coffee every time. Oh, but Mike Cunningham, thanks a million. Cheers, Nev. Cheers, Alex. Take care. Thanks for this week's cast. We'll be back again next week, so please like, share and subscribe to the Yellow Ugly Podcast. See you later.